You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. A piece of paper and make two columns. In the one column on the left, you can make all the things that are good in your life. All the things that you like, all the things that, um, that are positive. That's one column. In the other column, you can actually create a list of all the things that are wrong in your life. All the problems, all the things, the frustrations, all the things that aren't going the way you would like. And, and which list of those two, which of those two columns is the most important in determining your outlook on life? Which is the, gratitude, the positive one or the, the, the negative one? Positive one, okay. Now, what's interesting, if you're, just think, if you're just making these two lists, and sometimes if you've ever done this, we're trying to make a decision. All right, let me give you the pros and cons. And you make this list, and whichever list outweighs the other is the which way you think we should go. So common sense would suggest that whichever of these lists is longest would determine your attitude. And so that if you have this long list of really bad things in your life, that your default would be, all right, I'm going to be negative and I'm going to have that attitude. Whereas if you had a long list of really good things in your life, then you'd be positive. Well, what's interesting, surprisingly, that our attitude has nothing to do with the length of the list. I mean, I know people who have everything going for them. Financial stability, security, good health, you know, just, just everything you'd look at and say, man, they have everything that you would want in life and they're miserable. They just whine and complain and they're just, they're just negative. Their outlook on life is just really bad. And it's, it's like, what is wrong with you? And contrast that, I also know other people who, uh, you look at them and you wonder, how in the world do you get out of bed in the morning? I mean, there is just so many things that would cause them to have be so negative about life and yet they're just full of life and energy and passion and it's like you just want to be around them because of the energy that they give you and why is that why is it you can see the differences in how people respond to their circumstances and I think it's we've already addressed that we already talked about a little bit it's because living with an attitude of gratefulness is a matter of choice It really is. It's a matter of choice. And each morning we wake up, we choose how we're going to approach that day. We make that decision. Now, if you've been um, with us the last couple weeks, you know that we're in a series on choices, making choices. And two weeks ago, we looked at this idea of choosing purpose over popularity. Last week, we looked at choosing discipline over regret. And if you haven't guessed already, today we're going to talk about choosing gratitude over complaint. Now, today's passage we're going to look at comes from the book of Exodus. Now, in this, if you're familiar with the story of the Israelites, um, they've been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. So we're talking generational enslavement that they've been there for this long period of time. Moses is on the scene. We've had the 10 plagues, you know, with Egypt. And Pharaoh finds that, all right, enough's enough because all the firstborn in Egypt were just die- were killed. Um, by the angel, and Pharaoh said, all right, enough, we get the hint, go. And he sends them on their way. So the Israelites leave, and, but not, not long after they leave, we don't know if it's hours or a day or a couple days, but shortly after they leave, Pharaoh changes his mind and says, wait a minute, what did I just do? Go get them. And he sends the entire Egyptian army out to get the Israelites and bring them back 
and, and put them and enslave them once again. So that's the context in which our passage is. We're going to uh, start from this morning. Exodus chapter 14. We're going to start with verse 10. <clears throat> As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this encounter that the Israelites had with the Egyptians. And uh, Lord, in the moment of fear and panic, we see a few things. And God, I, help you, uh, I ask that you would help us to understand a little bit more about what that looks like uh, and what that might even look like in our own lives today. Uh, so, Holy Spirit, speak to us and say to us what you desire to say in the next few moments we're together. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if all we had to look at was this one incident, it would really seem that the, the response of the Israelites was quite natural, wouldn't it? I mean, I mean the, they, were, they were fearful and terrified and probably rightfully so. I mean, this was the Egyptian army, which in that point in time in history was one of probably one of, if not the preeminent power, in that, at least in that region, that part of the world, clearly. And here they are marching towards them. You can imagine the, the cloud of dust from the animals and the carts and um, the horses and the soldiers. And here's everything coming in. And the panic, I can imagine. I mean, imagine if you look back and saw an, literally an army in pursuit of you. Um, there would be one of, of fear and anxiety and, and, and panic. However, as we continue into the story of Exodus, we begin to see that this was the standard, this was the default response of the Israelites to anything that happened to them. Anything that happened to them, this was their default. And the word that's seen time and again to describe their behavior is grumble, which is a great word, grumble, which another, some translations use the word murmur. Um, which really means to complain about something in a bad-tempered way. To complain about something in a bad-tempered way. So it's not just whining. There's actually a little bit of anger and angst, and you're complaining, and, but, but it's, it, it's, um, it's not good. So what's, what's interesting, you know, so we have this incident right here in Exodus 14, the very next chapter. Um, again, again, I don't know if it's a day later uh, maybe a couple of days later, but clearly within one or two days of this happening. And we do know that the, if you're familiar with the story that God, we have the parting of the sea, the Israelites go forward and the, the Egyptians are all drowned and they never see those Egyptians again. So Moses' words become true. Literally within a day or two, they're continuing on their journey and they're without water. And it says that in chapter 15, it says, so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Again, it wasn't just, they weren't just asking a question. They were complaining in a bad-tempered way. And then so we see that happening in chapter 15. 
Um, and again, just grumbling, this murmuring becomes very common behavior among the people. In chapter 16, they're running out of food. And they said, what are we going to eat? And, and it says, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Chapter 17, they need water again. And, but the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses and they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? That's another thing they did, which I thought was very interesting. They longed for the good old days of slavery, of slavery. It's like, so it wasn't just the, hey, this is bad. It's, you should have left us back here. And if only, and it just, it really is, um, it's a pretty sad thing to see, actually. And uh, we, we've seen Deuteronomy uh, that, that complaining was a way of life for them. Moses is talking to them. He says, you grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. So God hates us. So he brought us up out of there so he could kill us here. I mean, how bad of a perspective is that? Oh, that's your, your thought. But this idea that you grumbled in your tents. In other words, this just wasn't incidental. This was, this was just part of your pastime. This is what you did in the evening, was sit around and just complain and, and grumble. And in the Numbers 14, I love this. Even God gets tired of listening to them complain. Literally, and God is talking to Moses, and God says, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? Now, given God's direction... I'm sorry, given God's direct intervention into their lives, actually it's kind of surprising how often the Israelites complained about something in a bad-tempered way. I mean, it was constant that they were responding this way. It's amazing how quickly the Israelites forgot what God had done in Egypt to bring about their deliverance. Rather than reflecting and giving thanks for how God had provided for them in the past and expecting that for their current situation and even into the future, they allowed their present circumstance to generate grumbling and complaining. Now, over the years, I've discovered that just like the Israelites, all of us have the capacity to complain. It's there. We all have that capacity. Now, I need to make an important distinction here. Um, There is a difference between complaining due to immediate circumstances and complaining as a way of life. Now, And that's why I say what the Israelites responding to the Egyptian army in that moment, that was actually a very natural response. I think that that's pretty natural. But what we see that 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 behavior became learned and it became their default response for everything. How many of you are familiar with the stages of grief? Kubler-Ross came back out, was it the 60s? He came out with that and it was a while back. But there's um, five stages that when you're faced with some incident, some form of grief grief or loss, um, and everyone deals with grief differently, but generally speaking, there's five stages a person goes through um, as they're dealing with that. The first one is denial. This can't really be happening. Um, Then there's anger, and then there's bargaining, there's depression, and then acceptance is the final one. Um, what's interesting is that during, you know, the anger or the depression phase, um, our mood may not be the best. We may not be very pleasant to be around. Um, and for a season, for a season, we may even complain about something in a bad-tempered way. And that's just part of us working through that sense of loss. We may even be angry at God. And I would like to suggest, let you know, that's okay. You just have to read the Psalms 
to realize David spent a lot of time in his journal writing about his disappointment and his upsetness and, and, and sometimes even anger with the way life was treating him and why wasn't God doing something about it? God isn't offended when we voice our responses, when we complain, when we're very human in front of him. That's not, what, that's not the issue here. That when we're going through life, when things happen to us, when the circumstances hit, there is a natural human process we go through as we deal with it. Now, interestingly enough, like I said, everyone deals with this stuff differently. For some people, they can go from denial to acceptance, seems like within a moment. You just see this? Okay. And they, they move on. It's like they never deal with it. Well, like they didn't even go through that. Other people, unfortunately, get stuck. And they're never able to move beyond anger or they're never able to move beyond depression and it becomes debilitating in their life. And it affects every area of their life. It affects other relationships, their ability to work, their ability to function because they're stuck and they're not able to, to move on. The Israelites, for them, complaining was a way of life. Their default was to complain about everything in a bad-tempered way. And while going through various stages of emotion is normal, there needs to come a time when we make a decision about the attitude we will take. So let me say that again. Going through this is very normal. But at some point in time, we have to make a choice. Where am I going to land on this one? Am I going to be, am I going to come to the point of acceptance or am I going to live within this season or this emotion of anger or depression or denial, whatever one it is? And are we going to be stuck there? We, we, we need to make a choice. Will my attitude be determined by my circumstances or will my attitude be determined by what I know about God? Now, outside of possibly being irritating to other people around us, why is complaining a bad thing? few thoughts. One is that uh, complaining will keep you focused on the negative instead of the positive. Um, <laughs> I remember in college, um, one of the things, we, we had a tip, our wing and uh, we, we had a brother-sister wing thing. So there's always people at our, we always sat at the same area, same table area, same. So there's always, whenever we went up for, for a meal, there's always people there to sit with and engage with in conversation. <clears throat> Inevitably, you, you, you know, you sit down and talk, and the first things people are starting to talk about when they sit down is just the food, and they're complaining, oh, this again, or, oh, you know, they're just, and so sometimes, just to be contrary, I would throw out, huh, I like this stuff, it's one of my favorites, just to see the response. Most times, that conversation of complaining, it just ended, it just stopped, and it's like there's pause, and it's like, then someone would bring up the weather or some other TV show in that series. Or, but the complaining about the food ended right then and there. What I learned was that they really didn't care. It was just something to talk about. It was just kind of the default that they went into. It was just what they had learned to do and gave them something to talk about. Here's what I've learned, though. Life is way too short to waste it on negativity. It really is. There is just so much emotional energy that goes into being negative, and it's just too, too much um, to waste it. I've, I've been um, pretty open about the fact that um, when it comes to flying, I'm a nervous flyer. You know, it doesn't keep me from getting on a plane, and you know, but I, I've got my, my routines. Um, but um, I'll do it because it's what I need to do. 
But I've discovered over time that about a few days before it, Betsy will even say, I can tell when you're going on a trip because a few days beforehand, you get, you, you get a little more withdrawn, just a little more quiet. And, and here's what I've discovered every, every single time. My emotional angst about the flight is always way worse than the actual flight. The fl- even the flights that tend to be a little bumpy or choppy or... They're never as bad as I make them out to be in my thoughts and emotions. And so this idea of complaining, even if it's just to ourselves, even if it's just an internal thing, focusing on the negative keeps us from realizing what instead can be positive. And again, life is just too short to waste on negativity. Complaining is also bad because it can distort reality by making things seem worse than they really are. Israelites, I love the response. We told you to leave us alone in Egypt. <laughs> Just leave us be. We're okay being slaves. We would rather be slaves and die out here in the desert. Now, I get that they're afraid. I get that. And, and, and maybe even rightfully so. But complaining is an outgrowth of our emotion. And emotions add intensity to any situation, good or bad. Problems feel bigger, they feel more overwhelming when we're emotional. And complaining keeps the emotional level high. It just keeps the emotions up there. Complaining makes things seem worse than they really are. Another thing about complaining is that complaining can keep you from seeking the one who has the solution. I've observed that we tend to complain about things when... when when they don't go the way we want them to go or when things don't go the way we expect. Complaining is actually a rejection of God. When the Israelites complained, Moses warned them that they were murmuring against the Lord. He said, what are you coming to me for? I can't provide you with food. This, isn't, this is beyond me. Who you're actually complaining to is God. You're dissatisfied, you're unhappy with God for the way things have turned out. And instead of looking to him for help, we blame him for the things not going our way. And instead of looking to God for the solution. Again, there's nothing wrong with sharing with God what's on your heart. Again, I think it's very healthy. I think it's part of just the spiritual dynamic. And I think it's just part of our relationship with him. But that's just it. Pouring out your heart to God is very different than complaining about your circumstances with other people. Now, fortunately for us, God has always been very patient with complainers. Um, We see this with Adam and Eve. We see this with the early church and Acts, and we certainly see it today. I think we all can identify or know people who would fit within that camp. Complaining has always been and probably always will be a part of every human society. It's just part of human nature. And although murmuring and complaining, there are consequences for that. God offers patience, he offers mercy, and he offers forgiveness to his children. Now, it's important to remember that although he confronted the Israelites and he even judged them on their sin, God always remained faithful to them. He forgave them and he continued to meet their needs and to guide them. He didn't just say, well, if that's your attitude, figure it out yourself. I'm out of here. You know, pull the pillar of fire and cloud and go back up into heaven. 
He didn't do that. He stayed with them throughout. And that's the God we serve. And so complaining keeps us from actually giving attention to focus on God and our relationship with him and get, causes us to continue to focus on our circumstances. <clears throat> so we now know why complaining is bad. Why is gratitude good? A few thoughts. One is because gratitude fuels faith while complaint fuels fear. Um, you know, time and again, I've been overwhelmed by the gratitude that I see come out of this congregation. Um, I share with you um, a couple weeks ago, just our time, Betsy and I had dinner with Mike and Amber Price. And we, I mean, we're familiar with their situation with Parker and um, just their continued positive outlook. They're so, while, while his circumstances are really all consuming, I mean, their lives really revolve around his care. Um, all you ever hear out of them is positive things. Their gratitude for all the other things that God is doing in their lives. Um, I don't know, some of you um, maybe were that uh, a week ago, about 10 days ago, actually. Um, Susan Gagnier uh, tested positive for COVID. Um, our first member of our Statesville congregation. Um, and she, in my conversation, she gave me permission to share this uh, with you. Um, what's interesting, Mike and Susan haven't been to church since March. You know? So they're the kind, they, they, they never go anywhere. Um, so she thinks she got it at work because she works in a hospital as an administrator. Um, so she works in an office, but that's, but we're not there. But what's interesting is last weekend was a real struggle for her. Um, just, but not, the symptoms have been relatively minor. It's the emotional part of it for her, of uh, her, so her blood pressures went up because of this. It's the anxiety of, is this going to go south for me? And I think that's what I'm hearing for a lot of people. It's, it's, all right, which way? Because we all hear the stories. I mean, we, all, we all know that for a really, 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 really small, tiny percentage of people, it's bad. But this one, is it me? Am I going to be one? And for them, they were really wrestling with that. And, and she was really struggling with this last weekend. Um, but then Monday, she and I were exchanging texts. And she said this. She said, I've taken my Bible and devotional, and God has brought me to one scripture after another of truth and encouragement. There is good that will come of this. I know there will be. And I just thought, how cool is that? And again, for her, the emotions were real, they were genuine and very normal. But ultimately, you have to come to a place, all right, where am I going to land on this? Where am I going to camp out? And for her, and going to God, and not just, not just staying in this state of freaking out and being anxious, it's realizing, God, you're my source. What do you have to say to me about this situation? She came to a place of faith and gratitude, which I thought was really cool. Gratitude fuels faith. Gratitude also positions you for greater opportunity, while complaint keeps you from seeing the opportunity. Gratitude allows you to see beyond yourself. When we're all wrapped up in our own world, that's all we see. We don't see the possibilities. They're just, and, and again, if you know someone who's like this, they're just so absorbed. They're, they're, everything is just around them and it's about them and they don't even, they're not even aware of things outside of them. Gratitude makes you better while complaint makes you bitter. <clears throat> Um, what's really interesting is we have scientific empirical studies that validate this. Studies have shown that gratitude causes you to have a more and stronger relationships. 
So, so just by being gratitude and appreciative of others, you're going to have better relationships. It improves your self-esteem, how you think about yourself. And it improves physical, mental, and psychological health. So everything about your life is better simply because of having a grateful attitude and a grateful heart. Now, I am fully aware that being grateful is sometimes easier said than done. It's tough to be grateful when someone else's bad behavior sends your life down a path you didn't want it to go. It's really tough to be grateful when the doctor's office calls and says, you need to come back in again. We're seeing something on the film. Or it's really hard to be grateful when the waves of life keep washing over you with no end in sight. And you just can't seem to get on top. Now, in no way do I want to diminish the significance of events in anyone's life. But how can we find a spirit of gratefulness in the midst of crisis? That becomes the question. How can we find a spirit of gratefulness in the midst of crisis? I think there's a few things, simple steps. I think uh, one of them is just begin your day by giving thanks to God for one thing. I'm adding that one. I don't know if you're looking at your notes. I'm adding that one thing. Just begin your day by giving thanks for one thing. And just let that begin to set the tone for the rest of the day just by being grateful. Another thing you can do is train yourself to see the good even in the bad and give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I, for a long time, really struggled with that verse. Just, it's like, until, until I realized the word in. The third, third word is actually the word in. Give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. You know what I mean? So, hey, God, I'm really glad this bad thing is happening to me. It's not what it's saying. Give thanks in all circumstances. So God, this really bad thing is happening to me, but I still think you're an amazing God and I love you. And I appreciate your love and I love all the other things. Give thanks in all circumstances. It's not giving thanks for all circumstances. In spite of my circumstances, I will worship and give honor to you for you are good and loving and worthy of all my praise, regardless of the circumstances. And um, the other uh, thing I think we can do in that step is be grateful for the little things of life. I think I was, was Fred uh, commenting just about uh, um, you know, what you're grateful for. It wasn't something really specific, but just the overwhelming goodness of God, you know, and just seeing it in so many different, and seeing it in little places, if you will. I don't know if that's the right term, but but recognizing that, that God and there's so much for which we can be grateful for. Now, I actually have two other thoughts about how to be grateful that aren't in your outline um, that I'll, I'll throw in there. One is uh, spend time with energy givers, not energy takers. You know what I'm talking about when I say that? Again, we, we know people that just, man, you, you spend five minutes with them. It's not like you just spent hours. Like, oh, you just suck all the energy out of the room and and you got other people, it's, it's just, you, you, they walk into the room and you just, everything just feels better and different. Hang out with those people. You know, if you're struggling with something, if you need to be encouraged, if you're, hang out with those people and uh, not the energy takers. 
Um, so last point is how can we find a spirit of gratefulness? Give space for wise input from others. Don't isolate yourself. Um, nice, put wise input. <clears throat> I added that. Um, because some of us have friends that are really passionate. They care about us. They'll, 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 they'll invest in us. But sometimes their wisdom is not the best. So look for wise wisdom. People who actually tell you the truth and be honest with you when you need it. <clears throat> um, our, I, I think I may have shared this in the past, uh, but our youngest, uh, Peter, um, was a surprise. Now, we, we had the idea, he was our, so we had two kids already, so we find out Peter's on his way. And, um, you know, the idea of having three kids was always part of the conversation. We had, we, I mean, so that, that, in, that in itself wasn't the issue, just not then. Um, at that point in time, we found out just within a couple of days of Sarah's first birthday party. Sarah, um, his sister, was, you know, obviously born a year prior to this. She was a preemie, 10 weeks early, spent six weeks in the hospital huge, overwhelmingly emotional season of life for us. The first birthday party for all of our kids, is, it's a big party. Betsy puts together the scrapbook and all. So we're reliving Sarah and, um, and all the emotions that went with that. And it was, it was really a hard season of life dealing with, with the preemie and all the things. And, but, not a, not, but it wasn't just that. My job was ending. We were getting ready to move to another state we, had, we were going to have no insurance. Sarah's bills today, in today's market, were well into six figures. Um, that was, at that time, covered by an HMO. We were going to have no insurance. So we've got, you know, the doctors to this day don't know why Sarah came early. And so all of a sudden, we're hit with this reality of, is this, again, it wasn't the idea of having another child. It was all the stuff that came, all the uncertainties and the fears and, for in that moment, um, everything was really overwhelming for us. In that moment, for us, the Egyptian army had just been seen and was closing in fast. Now, I, I remember I was in this fog for probably about two or three days, just really kind of feeling overwhelmed by everything and uh, talking with my mom on the phone one time, and I was probably complaining. I was trying to say, oh, this is what are we going to do, da 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 And she never tried to cheer me up. She didn't quote a Bible verse. She didn't have... Anything she just, I remember at the end of the conversation, she just said, this must be one special baby for God to bring him into your life at this point in time. And we're thinking, huh. Yeah, that is kind of interesting, isn't it? And that one sense, that one sense just shifted our perspective. Not a lot. I mean, everything else was still there, but it was just enough. Okay, that got us off our emotional upheaval and maybe God's in this. Maybe that God's in and, and that was enough. That was sufficient. And, and that one sense was enough. But that only happens because there was wise people in our life who weren't afraid to say something that may have been a little challenging or a little less than normal, and, but had the space and freedom to speak into our life. When you're struggling, sometimes the enemy's greatest tricks is to convince us that no one understands, no one gets us, and we isolate. And it has nothing to do with COVID. We isolate because we think we're alone and we feel abandoned. And that's the last thing we should be doing. We should be engaging other people and inviting other people into our life. So over the next few days, as Thanksgiving is coming, 
Think about how you would answer this question. What in my life am I most grateful about? What in my life am I most grateful about? Choosing an attitude of gratitude will not only open our eyes to see blessings in our lives, it will also position us for the good that God desires to bring our way. What in my life am I most grateful about? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for the Israelites. Uh, We get to see ourselves in them in so many ways. And we get to learn um, about what not to do. Um, We get to learn about how you respond to us. And uh, Father, today I know that uh, some of us are are struggling with some things in life that we wish weren't there. Whether it's health, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's other circumstances in our life that uh, it would be easy uh, to fall into this path of complaining. But God, the one thing I'm confident of of this people, uh, that none of us here want to be that way. All of us, Lord God, desire to be people of faith, to be people who have hope, who have expectation, who are able to put our trust and faith in you. So God, I ask and pray that when those places, those times when we're weak, you would be incredibly strong. Father, may we sense your encouragement. May we find our hope in you. Just like Susan found hope in words from her times of devotion. Lord, may we also find that as well. Whether, again, it's from hearing directly from you, or maybe it's through the words of a friend or a loved one. But God, help us in those times of, 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 um, of weakness. And God, I pray that you would help us as well to be energy givers to others. Lord, that we might be doing just fine, and, and, but there, we may encounter others who are really struggling. Help us not to be judgmental. Help us to be loving and kind, to give them space to be real. But God, may we also be courageous enough to be able to speak words of hope and life to them, even if it's challenging, even if, it may, even if we're not sure how to be received. God, help us to be the community of faith where we are energy givers, we're life givers, and that when one of us struggles, the rest come around and say, we're with you, you can do this. You're not alone. So Father, we continue to just put our lives into your hands, and uh, Lord, we trust you in all things. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.